uh, final week in our sermon series called Friendship Matters, where we are talking about both the fact that friendship matters and the matters that make friendship matter. Um, We started this series three weeks ago, and uh, I talked about the priority of friendship, about the reality that it's literally not good for us to live our lives outside of a functioning community of friends. Um, Like, literally, relationships are all that we have. That is the substance of life, our relationship with God and our relationship with ourselves and our relationship with each other, and our relationship with the world, and with the, even with the planet. Relationships are literally the only thing that matter. And when we're not experiencing the fullness of relationships, and friendships in particular for this series, um, we're just living across the grain of how we were created to be. And uh, it's just not good for people to, to live lives that pay not enough attention to friendships. Um, two weeks ago, Jeff Lockyer sort of pushed into that a little bit further and said that really if you want to be a friend or if you want to have a friend, you've got to be a friend. That He, he kind of switched the footing that we often think about friendships, that we, we, the primary factor in the quality of our friendships is the responsibility that we put on being a friend and not on the other person. Obviously, the other person's a factor, but... The primary responsibility for friendship for each of us begins with ourselves to be um, a fruit of the spirit, kind of for loving and joyful and peacemaking and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and full of self-control. To be the kind of person who is intentionally living the one another's, uh, care for one another, carry each other's burdens, forgive one another and so on. Um, living those into our relationships. And then last week, the location pastors taught and they challenged us to widen the circle that if we're going to experience the kind of friendships that God's created us to experience, it's not going to be in as much as birds of a feather are flocking together. And we find people who are just like us. Actually, it's going to be in as much as we diversify the kinds of relationships that we experience, that we get to live into a biblical kind of friendship. In effect, What we've been talking about for this whole series so far has to do with the ways in which we're connected to each other. Um, I heard this week uh, somebody talk about the difference between diamond and graphite. I'll I'll put up a picture for you. But graphite is what we use in a pencil, not lead anymore. And obviously a diamond is a diamond. Graphite and diamond are made of the identical substance. They're all made of carbon. Uh, carbon atoms joined together. But what makes graphite cheap and soft and not valuable and diamond hard, one of the hardest substances on the planet and invaluable, almost priceless, is actually the quality of the bonds that join those atoms together. That in one sense, as you, if we experience, as we're connected to each other, one kind of bond with each other, we can actually experience relationships that are flaky and flimsy and, and soft and, and not very valuable at the same time if we can join ourselves to each other differently in the kind of ways we've been talking about in the series, then we can experience relationships that are, that are hard and, and invaluable. They're priceless kinds of relationships. 
But what we want to look at this morning is, excuse me, a little bit different in that we want to talk about the kinds of people that we choose to be friends. I'll show you another molecule. Um, This molecule you can see around the center filled with carbon atoms as well. So there's a carbon-based molecule, but you can see there are other kinds of atoms in there as well. There's some nitrogen, a little bit of oxygen. Do you know what this is? This is a molecule for TNT. And the kind of the, the thing that struck me when I started to think about this was that when you take the bonds that form a friendship, but you invite the wrong kinds of people into it, you can take something that is valuable and durable and make it something that's explosive and destructive. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26, the righteous choose their friends carefully but the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous choose their friends carefully. Now, doesn't that kind of run against what we've been saying? Like Jeff Lockyer said, the primary factor, the primary responsibility for quality friendships is on us, not on the other person. And as soon as you say the righteous choose their friends carefully, it's almost like you're saying, no, actually what matters are the people that you're joined together in relationship with. But that's not true. The primary responsibility is still about how we live into our relationship, the kind of friend we are. This is just about choosing carefully where we're going to aim that friendship, right? Or in one sense, that could sound like it's contradictory to what Jeff and or what uh, the location pastor said last week, that the goal is diversity to be expanding the scope of our friendship. In reality, what I'm now saying is, no, maybe we should narrow it. Maybe we should be super exclusive and maybe we should be really picky and choosy about who our friends are. And that's not true. I'm not talking about only being friends with people who are similar to us or people who are easy to be friends with. But I am saying it matters who your friends are. Because you see, the primary role of friendship is to shape us as human beings. In Proverbs 27, it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In the same way that iron is used to sharpen blades that are also made of iron, so two friends, when they come into relationship with each other, one friend sharpens the other. That's one of the one another's of the Bible, is that we sharpen one another that the effect of friendship when it's done well is that we start to you know rub some of the rough edges off each other and and smooth each other out we start to to shape each other in our habits and character we polish each other and allow our character to shine or we we round off sharp corners or or like the proverb says we we sharpen to a precise blade so that uh, our friends can be more useful, more effective in the way that they're being used. One friend shapes and hones the life and character of the other. Now, it should be said that when iron sharpens iron, a lot of times there's sparks. It's a friction thing, right? And there's heat, but it's not the kind of heat that destroys. It's the kind of heat that shapes as one friend influences another. 
read about a study um, in, done in the year 2000 about the hidden influence of our social networks on each other. The study tracked um, the movement of obesity through friendship networks. And I'm not um, commenting on or judging or criticizing anybody's body shape or type, and neither was the study. It was simply taking a measurable variable and tracking it through friendship. And the interesting thing about the study was that what it demonstrated is it took five degrees of separation before somebody's character trait did not have an effect on a person. So um, say it this way, if your friend in the study was obese, you had a 45% increased chance of being obese yourself. If your friend's friend was obese, then you didn't have 45% chance, you just had a, you had a 25% chance, but still elevated. If your friend's friend's friend was obese, you had a 10% chance. You probably don't even know that person. And you still have a 10% increased chance uh, in being obese. Or if, you have a, if your friend's friend 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 was obese, you had a 5% chance of being obese. It took five degrees of separation and friendship before it had no effect on you. Like, think about that for a minute. What that means is we're one degree of separation from Kevin Bacon's body being determinative for all of us, right? But like you don't even know your friend's 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 friend, and yet they are having an impact on your life, statistically. Um, the research demonstrated that it was because friends share behaviors in social networks, because friends help each other determine what is normal and expected in social networks because friends are often have access to the same inputs to the social network. So in this case, similar diets, similar access to exercise or commitments to exercise um, because friends tend to gather towards people who are like them for all sorts of reasons. The people you're connected to affect your life. And that's the way it's supposed to be in, in Ephesians chapter four. It says this instead Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What the, what the Bible is saying is that as we are connected to each other in relationship, as everybody is contributing to the network of relationships that we live in, we all grow together to become more like Jesus. And it says in every respect, all of us comprehensively embedded in this Jesus-shaped network of friendships together, we're all moving to become more like Jesus. We radiate his life and love. Which means, to go back to the proverb where we started, it's the righteous who choose their friends wisely. Because your friends have an effect on you. I think you could read that verse two ways. One is saying righteous people are very diligent about choosing their friends wisely. But I think you could say people who have chosen their friends wisely are the ones who become rightly, who learn how to live rightly a Jesus-shaped life. Which means we got to get better choosing our friends. And I think that means that there's two things that we have to think about. One is we have to think about the fact that we have a limited capacity 
to be in friendship with people. Quantitatively, we can only have so many friends, which means that some people are going to be in and some people are going to have to be out. There was some research done on this by an evolutionary anthropologist, a guy named Robin Dunbar. And Dunbar works at Oxford University, and he was doing this work where he was measuring the size of the brains of primates, like monkeys and chimpanzees and stuff, and correlating that mathematically to the size of their social network. And he came up with this mathematical formula, and he applied it to the human brain, and he said, given that the average human brain is this size, mathematically, that means that their capacity to live in relationship maxes out at about 150 people. That's it. That is your entire capacity for meaningful relationships with people. But he said, within that, there are actually um, several circles of friendship. I'll, I'll put this up on the screen. That within your 150, there was a circle of five, what he called intimate friends. These are the people who are your BFFs. They know everything about your life. Beyond that, there's a circle of 15 people who are what he called good friends. These are the people you would invite into your home a lot, to hang out with on a Saturday night, people you would vacation with. Beyond that, there's a circle of 50 people that he called close friends. These are the people that you would invite to a Super Bowl party. This is kind of your, these are people you can meaningfully call friends. And then, and then the outer circle is 150 people. And he just called those friends. That would be like the total circle of people you would invite to your 75th birthday party or your 50th wedding anniversary. This is, that's the sum total of all the people with whom you have meaningful relationships. Now, the interesting thing was, these are called Dunbar's numbers. And, and Dunbar's numbers, somebody in 2007 said, I want to find out if this is true. And so they did a study with European um, people with their mobile phones. And they did a statistical analysis on their call logs. They, 35 million Europeans looking at 6 billion phone calls. Sample size is pretty good. And they measured people's phone calls in terms of frequency, making the assumption that we talk to the people we're closest to most often. I text my wife more than I text all of the rest of you combined. So like this, that's sort of the assumption. And what they found was that these circles held up, that most Europeans have about four people that they call, that would be like intimate friends, about 11 people who would be good friends, about 30 people who would be close friends, and about 130 people in their overall network of friendships. By the way, with 2 billion subscribers now, the average number of friends of a Facebook user is 130. Right? It all sort of seems to fit. And what intrigued me when I read that research is that it almost perfectly describes the relational community that Jesus committed himself to. Right? There were hundreds of people who would listen to Jesus preach. But there were like dozens of people who called themselves disciples. About 70, the Bible says. And of those 70, there were 12 that were Jesus' core disciples. The people who spent every moment of every day with Jesus. And of those 12, um, there were three who got to see Jesus at his most vulnerable, to share his most intimate moments, his most significant moments. There were three that he invited into that closest 
circle. Now Dunbar says he should have had five, but if you count the father and the Holy Spirit, you know, he's got his full circle of five there. But that's how Jesus lived his life. And, and he didn't make the same investment in each one of those groups, right? The, the hundreds, that sort of 150, that circle, they got to hear him teach. But the dozens got to hear Jesus go deeper and explain what he meant by his sermons. The 12, they got to hear and see Jesus do and say things that not even the the 70 got to see. And then the three who were his most intimate, they joined Jesus privately in things that even the 12 didn't get to experience. This is my point. There are different circles of friendship. Not all of our friends are the same. And we have to decide who are going to be our BFFs because we're only going to have about five. And we have to decide who are going to be our good friends because we only get about 15 of those and five of them are our BFFs. We only get about 50 close friends, people we would invite to a birthday party or a Super Bowl party or both. So... We have to, I think it's worth it for us to sit down and map our relational worlds and say, who are my five? Who are the five people that I'm counting on to be BFFs for me right now? Who are my 15? Like if the five know everything about what's going on, who are my 15? Who are the really good friends that I have come to rely on in my life? And then who's in the 50 and Who's in the 150? And and here's the reason for mapping that out. It's not just to be picky, but it's to say, am I making five level investments of time and energy in my five level people? Am I investing BFF time and energy in my intimate friends? Or am I investing excessive amounts of time and energy in 15, you know, good friends or close friends, 15s and 50s? Am I investing too much time in 15s and 50s or not enough time in the fives? Like, am I investing my time and effort and energy in proportion to the friendships that I have? Or am I at risk of of losing out on the value of these friendships because I'm not committed to them properly. So it's kind of that quantitative question. I can only commit so much time and effort and energy. And by the way, it varies. Um, In the study, it varied based on personality type. Extroverts had more friends and introverts had fewer. And gender, women had more friends and men had fewer. Um, It depended on age. People under 30 wanted more friends. People over 30 wanted better friends. So people like me are just better friends is the, what the study proved scientifically. Um, and even stage of life, people with little young kids and shift workers and all of that factored in. But, but who are the people you're investing in and are you investing in them the way you ought to be investing in them? Choose your friends wisely. Choose who goes into each circle. That's the quantitative thing. But there's also, I think, a qualitative issue. And the qualitative issue is this, not every person with whom we're friends is as transformational for us in friendship. Not everyone is helping us become more like Jesus. In fact, some are doing the opposite. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
there are people that we're connected to relationally that are actually doing damage to our character and damage to our discipleship and who are actually pulling us away from Jesus in ways. So I created two categories that of things I think people that I think we need to think about. Um, I called one category unhelpful friendships. Unhelpful friendships. So the first kind of unhelpful friend would be an old friend, right? And when I say old friend, what I mean is somebody you've been friends with for a long time, but for whom over the years, your friendship has changed, right? You moved away to go to school or they moved away to go to work or your hobbies change, your interests change, your values have changed. You're not quite on the same page or in your different stages of life. So someone that used to be in that BFF circle and is maybe still there, but your friendship has changed so much that that's probably not the best place for you to be investing BFF kind of energy anymore. They're, the friendship is, you're not as helpful to each other in walking each other towards Jesus as you used to be. Another category is what I call bad friends. They're not, I'm not talking about bad people. I'm just talking about bad friendships. They're not the kinds of friendships that would do the best at leading you closer to Jesus, right? Think about the first week in this series. We talked about these transactional friendships of utility that were more like partnerships. We're in relationship because of what I get out of you and what you get out of me, right? Or we talked about relationships based on fun or pleasure. We hang out because we're fun. We have similar hobbies. But if we're totally honest, the relationship is kind of shallow and surfacy most of the time. We talk about where we're going to travel next and what we just purchased and where did you get that hoodie and whatever. Like, it's not the deepest, most meaningful. Really. It's just kind of a, relatively speaking, it's not the best friendship that you have. Or uh, the third category is unequal friends. Just kind of acknowledging that when it comes to 5, 15, 50, and 150, um, we're not always putting each other in the same circle. You have somebody in your circle of 5 or 15 who only has you in their circle of 50 or 150. And here's the hard truth. That person will never invest the time and energy to loving you the way you wish they would. Because when it comes to the 5, 15, 50, and, and 150, at the end of the day, the bigger number always wins. And I think we just have some friendships in our circles where we just have to look and say, and just be honest and say, you know what, this person... I've treated them like they're a 15 kind of person to me, but truth is they treat me like I'm a 50 or a 150 and I need to make that adjustment, just my expectations so they're more realistic and just reshape our friendship circles by acknowledging that some of our friendships aren't as helpful as we wish they were. There's a whole second category that I call hurtful friendships. Hurtful friendships are more things like unhealthy friends. Right? Friends who, for example, aren't living out towards you the dynamics of this series, or you're not living it out to them either way, right? Like, um, you're not making this relationship a priority, or they're not really. You don't really believe this friendship. You don't treat them like they really matter. Or you're not being a fruit of the spirit kind of person to them. You're not living the one another's towards them or they're not living it towards you or you know neither of you or one or both of you are not interested in widening the circle it's more like trying to be more exclusive and cut people out and 
and just in this unhealthy way, over-focusing on each other, right? And those are kind of unhealthy dynamics that are actually, those are not good for us. Probably worse than those would be dangerous friends. There are some friends who really are corrupting our character in a very overt way, that they're just dangerous for our discipleship. They lead us away from Christ more than they lead us toward Christ. They, they help us sin more than they help us make good decisions. Um, we find that when we spend time with them, we're not more like Jesus. We're less like Jesus. We're more negative. We're more judgmental. We're more materialistic. We're more shallow. We're more selfish. We're more unloving, whatever the case may be. It's the person where in the back of your mind you think, I don't, I don't like who I am when I'm around them. And finally, the toxic friends, people who use you, take advantage of you, people who abuse you physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, sexually, economically, um, codependent relationships, people who are freezing you out and just not allowing you in, things that can be very destructive for your soul. And the truth of the matter is we have a choice to make about all these kinds of friendships, and there's really only two options. We can either terminate the friendship or we can transition it. Now, terminating it sounds harsh. But there are probably some friendships in your life based on the quality of friendship and the fact that it's not a transformational experience for the two of you. You're not walking with each other towards Jesus. Um, it's probably just time for the relationship to end. Even with like old friends, hey, we, we had a great, friendship and I celebrate it every day. I think it's time to just wish each other well and move on and free up a space for somebody else to enter into your five, right? Or to say to a toxic person, for the sake of my own mental and emotional health, I can't be around you right now until something changes in you or in our relationship. Sometimes we just have to cut off. Obviously more ideal than terminating the relationship is transitioning it. In one of two ways, like transitioning a person out of the circle that they're in to the one that they probably should be in, out of five and into 50 or out of five into 15, and somebody from 15. To, you know what I mean? Like not making emotional and energy investments, time investments in relationships that aren't going to be mutual and tra mutually transformative and just sort of move the person to the right circle or Move the relationship to match the circle. You're in my five, but I've been neglecting you with time and energy and effort. Um, and I want to reclaim what we've had in the past. Friends, this is the point. Our friendships, if we do them well, embed us in a network of relationships that can be transformative, that can sharpen us, that can make us more right, that can help us radiate the life and love of Jesus. And that's what we need to reclaim for ourselves. As Craig Rochelle once said, you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. There's a guy who used to be a part of this community of relationships named Doug Leckman. And Doug's made some radical changes in his life, in particular in his friendship circles. And it has made dramatic changes in his life. I want you to hear Doug's story. Check this out. 